Welcome to the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined, as always, by Bazooka Joe Valzlini for one of the biggest shows I'm sure we will do all year. It's Dustin Poirier, the rematch with Conor McGregor, UFC 257. And uh, Joe, I don't know if I'm alone here because a lot of people, every video I watch where fighters are giving their picks and everybody's giving predictions, everybody's taking Conor. And yeah. it's not, not necessarily that I'm going to take Dustin Poirier, but I just think that he's being so wildly overlooked in this spot that, you know, he, for example... Conor McGregor's a bigger favorite against Dustin Poirier than he was against Cowboy. And that yeah, just, to me, yeah. does not make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime Conor fights, it's a little bit odd because his his mouth changes the odds so dramatically. No matter who he fights, I mean, he's going to have that favorite side to him because he, you know, he talks up a good game. And just listening, honestly, like, this fight week is so different when Conor McGregor fights. I just feel the energy, the... Um, the largeness of the show really presents itself. And let me tell you, man, that man is an absolute genius on the mic. I listened to the press conference and the way he talks, the way he articulates his points, the way he's so confident, but at the same time, so respectful. There was an actual piece of that press conference I wanted to bring up that was just so beautiful that Conor McGregor was just so, uh, he's saying how much it was an honor to fight Poirier and how amazing of a person Poirier is, but the, like the ferocity is still there. And then they're going back and forth and helping each other's foundation. I think he's just that masterful person on the mic, and he does such great things for the sport. So I just think it's so much larger when that man fights. It's insane. You see, I feel like the press conference kind of fell flat. It didn't have that one moment that you kind of get from every yeah, press conference. Conor McGregor. McGregor has well, done. the Conor McGregor ones, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a good, and he was cordial and very mature, and all the guys were very yeah. mature. But you know, you've got four of the top lightweights in the world on stage. And zero trash talk, pretty much. It's all like hugs and hugs and love and respect. Yeah, everyone's complimenting each other, yeah. And maybe, get it. maybe it's the nice Connor. No, isn't it nice? Well, yeah, it is. And maybe, maybe Connor's trash talk shtick has gotten tired, and he's realized that. And or maybe it's just a situational thing. But uh, I feel like it didn't do any favors for for hyping up the fight. Just, in, just in my opinion. But uh, I do still think that, like you said, once Connor gets talking, he's done a lot of interviews this week, and. He gets out there. It does have a much different feel to it, especially when you had a midweek card. Like, that, that fight between Chiesa and Magni feels like ages ago. It was two days ago. It was like yeah. one and a half days ago, pretty much. Actually, no, it was two days ago. It was a morning card. But it feels like forever ago because everybody's – you start getting, you know, caught up in the in the, the hoopla between Connor yeah. and, uh, and Dustin. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see this one because I really do strongly believe that we've got a, a different Dustin Poirier here, a different matchup. And while everybody I talk to seems to really strongly favor Connor in this fight, I think that if this get, fight gets out of the second round, it, it's Dustin Poirier's fight to lose. Yeah. I mean, again, Connor's talking about his conditioning and how he wants to prove it. But if you look at the past, you're absolutely right. I mean, Poirier, I mean, last week, I mean, I was honest about it that for some reason Poirier doesn't stand out to me. But I did him the justice, you know, and just kind of focused on him going into this fight camp. And I think. He's got some good skills. I mean, his hands, the power he has. And looking back at that first fight, he, it was at 145. And I just felt that, you know, he's just so much better with a bigger weight to be stronger. And, I mean, I think if Poirier cracks you, it's over. And I just think it's really hard to kind of give Poirier so much credit in a fight because my last memory is him versus Khabib, where he didn't get to do much. So, I mean, I'm hopeful. I'm hoping for a good fight. I hope it goes more than the Conor McGregor predicted 60 seconds because I want to see a good fight. I want to see Conor get pushed. I want to see Poirier, you know, deliver a good fight. So I just hope that prediction is wrong. 
But one thing I was thinking about, Joe, actually, was the, the, the worst matchup for each fighter at lightweight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some names at you, and we're going to look at the top eight guys, let's say. Maybe, maybe seven guys. If Khabib's out of the picture, okay. let's take Khabib out of the picture because Khabib's probably the worst matchup for everybody. But you've got Connor, Charles Oliveira, Dan yeah. Hooker, Dustin Poirier, uh, Justin Gaethje, uh, Michael Chandler, and um, I feel like I'm forgetting one person. It could be uh, did I say McGregor? or Felder. No, I, McGregor, yeah? I'm going to say, okay, so McGregor, uh, Poirier are the two main, are the main events. You've got yeah. Chandler, Hooker are the others. You've got Gaethje. Um, you've got Oliveira. Charles Oliveira. And, uh, yeah, so I guess let's, let's go with those six. Yeah. So I'm going to, I want you to tell me who you think the worst matchup for each guy is, and I'll respond afterwards with who I think uh, the, the worst, worst matchup is. Let's go, let's go person by person. Guy. Worst matchup for Conor McGregor okay, who, out of those six. Uh, worst matchup for Conor McGregor. I want to take this strategic. Um, all right, I'm going with Charles Oliveira. I would agree with you. I think I'm it's Charles Oliveira, Charles Oliveira well. on that one. Although I do think yeah, that Charles Oliveira has... And yeah. well. Like Charles Oliveira would basically just need to close distance and get a hold of him. I think that that, like, yeah. that would be a problem for Conor. But I do think that you know, Oliveira has gotten dropped before, and, and Conor does have that big weapon. But I think just, just matchup for matchup, I, I would agree with that. Uh, let's go Poirier. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for Poirier, hmm. Uh, Gaethje, he's already beat. Uh, Ferguson will come forward. All right. I'm going to have to say... I'm taking Ferguson out of the equation. Oliveira. You think it's Pardon Oliveira? Me? Is I Charles would... Oliveira get out at this point, or is he still back in the equation? Because no, I think he's, he's probably one of... He's in the equation. Tony Ferguson I'm taking out of the equation, just because he's lost. You're taking Tony Ferguson. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you think yeah, it's Oliveira? I would have to say Connor or Oliveira. Yeah, I would say it's Connor. I think the, the, yeah. the thing that we've seen consistently from, uh, from Poirier is that uh, long, rangy, uh, left-handed fighters, southpaws, have been kind of his kryptonite. He's been knocked down twice in the last 11 years. One was Michael Johnson, one was Connor. So Atta I think. Boy, good stat, Aaron. Yeah, so nice. I think Connor would probably be the worst matchup for him. And that's why I think Connor's such a big favorite over him. Uh, let's go with Dan Hooker. Uh, uh, Dan Hooker, I think someone that can threaten the wrestling. I, honestly, it sounds crazy to say, but for some weird reason, Oliveira is probably, in my mind, sticks out for a lot of them just because out of the ones we matched, Oliveira's probably ground threat is the greatest. And a lot of these guys are, are phenomenal strikers. Um, but I'm going to have to say for Dan Hooker, I think it's his matchup this weekend. I think Chandler's could be a brutal matchup for him because of his ability to shoot and wrestle from the outside. I think it would just be Poirier. I mean, Poirier's beaten him already. It was uh, not the most competitive fight. I think Poirier won like th- three or four of those rounds. So with the knowledge that we already have, I, I don't think that Hooker would be able to beat Poirier if they went against each other. I also think that Gaethje would be a really tough matchup for him, Give, based on how he looked against uh, Barboza. Barboza was a terrible matchup for uh, Hooker, and it's probably the worst he's looked at 155. I would yeah. probably say Gaethje. I think Gaethje is probably the worst matchup for Hooker, if I had to, yeah. if I had to But say even it. though, I mean, you got to think, um, Hooker comes from a, a kickboxing team where he's used to people throwing calf kicks at him. He's got good distance control and movement. So He's just got such yeah. thin legs. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes those thin ones are the ones that hurt the most, to be honest with you. Like, I would much rather, it's going to sound crazy, be hit with a big, chunky leg, you know, big muscular leg, than I would from a nice, long, thin shin bone. Like, a, okay, I'm just thinking of someone you're, you're from looking at the like opposite, a Neil Magny kicking my arm, I'd be like, oh, that's disgusting. If you're looking at the opposite hurt. perspective, though. You're looking at, get, at, at, getting, uh, at kicking rather than getting kicked. 
Okay, so I mean, but still, like, if, would you rather legs. have really thin legs and get leg kicked, or would you rather have big, thick legs and get leg kicked? To be honest, it's 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 different because sometimes, like when I hit someone's leg who's big and meaty, it feels nice. It it, it doesn't hurt as much. But when you hit a leg that someone's a little thinner, it, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's, it's all individual. You have more experience in this realm than yeah, I do. So. I'd rather get kicked with a big leg. These thin, sharp bones are one of the worst, I'm telling you. In a straight Muay Thai kickboxing fight, these small, thin legs are brutal and long. So you don't want to get kicked with long, thin bones. All right. Uh, who have we not gone to? Let's go with uh, Gaethje. Who do you think is the worst matchup for Gaethje? Uh, worst matchup for Gaethje? Conor McGregor. I think so too. I think it's either Poirier or McGregor. Conor McGregor. I just think that by by making by putting Poirier against Gaethje because Poirier's already beaten Gaethje, you're kind of disregarding the adjustments Gaethje's made to his game. But I think that yeah, with him maybe. throwing, I think the worst thing you can do if you're throwing leg kicks is doing it against somebody who can counter like McGregor with with those yep. good angles with the big left. Um, and so I was gonna say I'll break yeah. it down even more is the fact that Connor is a southpaw and Gaethje to hit that outside leg is no longer there anymore. So he has to attack more of an inside leg, which opens up the left straight for Connor. So I just think the southpaw alone takes away a little bit of Gaethje's low kicks and his main strategy of calf kicking. So yeah, mm-hmm. Connor McGregor for me. Yeah, although I will say that Connor does plant pretty hard. He's got kind of that karate stance where he plants a lot. And light kicks yeah. can be detrimental to that stance, but I, I mean, I don't know if, if that uh, necessarily means that he, that Gaethje would be a, a terrible matchup for Connor. I, I do. I think that would be a great matchup overall. Him versus Connor versus Gaethje would be a fun one to watch. Yeah. But uh, just because yeah. I'm a low kicker, I know that the open stance always it's it's more difficult to hit the legs of an open stance. So um, I know the calf kick gets negated a lot from that position. So I mean, I just think all of these guys are scrappers, anyways. And I mean, I just think they can. So it's it's a it's a difficult question, and I think it was it's a very good one. Very Chand- good Michael Chandler, let's say. Uh, most difficult fight for Michael Chandler. Uh, who I think he's got to be someone rangier. Yeah, I asked Chandler um, personally, and Chandler said he thinks it's Dan Hooker. <laughs> he said he thinks Hooker yeah, I heard is that. the worst so matchup for him. that long ranginess, yeah. right? Because you got to think, Chandler's shorter, wants to come in, shifts his stance. Uh, so guys with range might be a little bit more difficult. Hooker's got good knees. you got to think, as Chandler's trying to come in, Hooker knees. Uh, but I don't know. I just think someone who's a, 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 able to manage distance and attack. My two answers I'm going to go with. Conor McGregor and Justin Gaethje would be the more difficult. I think Poirier would be the toughest matchup for him. I think okay. Poirier would bait him into a scrap, and Poirier would would, would outlast him. But, okay. yeah, I don't know. And Charles Oliveira, we didn't say who, who the worst matchup for Oliveira would be. Uh, worst matchup for Oliveira? Hmm. Uh, I would say maybe... Hmm. Maybe that's a Chandler in my eyes. I think it's, I think it's Poirier. Chandler. Could I think it's Chandler Poirier. Could be tough. Although Chandler doesn't have much of a neck, right? And, and Oliveira likes to choke. So yeah, I mean, strong answer. top position, good power from the outside. I mean, trying to give everyone a little love. I can't just keep picking Dustin Poirier <laughs> like you, Aaron. Like, well, I just think mix that it up a little bit. I think Come if on. you look at stamina, you look at durability. I, you know, Poirier has shown that in fights where you need to last, if you can last, he wins those fights. And I think that he could last against Charles Oliveira long enough to to implement his game plan and beat him over the course of five rounds. Yeah, I mean, they all got potential, so I can't say you're wrong. Yeah. All right. Cool. I just thought I, w- I wanted to pick your brain on that. I wanted to see what we uh, what we agreed upon. Uh, so in this fight, McGregor versus Poirier, and yeah. I asked the same question to Dan Hooker because 
Dan Hooker, I think I could tell was getting tired from watching interviews with him. I was I could tell he was getting tired of being asked to make a prediction. So I said to him, if McGregor wins this fight, how does he do it? And if Poirier wins this fight, how does he do it? So I'll ask you the same question. Okay. Um, I just don't want to give that general answer everybody gives. I mean, everyone's just going to say, you know, in the early rounds, it's Connor. The later rounds, it's Poirier, which it's, it is true. But uh, to get a little bit more technical, I don't know. I just think it's Connor's ability to use his counters that's going to be the difference. I think Poirier might kind of hit boxing sharp, but I just think Connor's boxing is that much more slick. I think Poirier's got a good power style in your face, but Connor's elusiveness, ability to keep range, bait you into something, is still going to give Poirier some trouble. And I think Connor's ability to kick is just going to set up that left hand even more. So um, it's going to be a left hand from Connor, I think, set up well with kicks. I think that's going to be his key. Um, but the key for Poirier is durability and i think he's got to really focus on closing that distance and being able to try which is very difficult to kind of press mcgregor against the cage trying to use clinch positions even if it's a standing clinch uh fake wrestling takedowns but i think the clinch work and the inside boxing of poirier is the key do you think that pressuring mcgregor would be a good strategy like you know, Connor's Connor's best you have way. To. You think you think so? Okay, because like you I want you to, to put your coach hat on. Let's say you're Mike Brown and you're talking yep. to uh, Dustin Poirier, and if the key is to get into the third round with Connor McGregor to last two rounds, what do you think Poirier has to do? Because I asked Poirier this. I said how. I said what what do you do to get into the third round? He goes. He said, well, I just need to fight smart. I need to fight smart. But how do you fight smart? If if you've got a guy who's overwhelming your CPU like McGregor is known to do. Yeah. How, do you, how do you prevent him from doing that? Pressure. I mean, it's it's the idea. I mean, there's different ways. There's intelligent pressure, and then there's the pressure people think of. People think pressure, come forward, throwing big bombs. But you got to do more intelligent pressure using safe enters. So even though Connor's baiting you in, if I'm fighting Connor McGregor, the first thing I need to do is throw feints. I need to throw as many feints as I can to see the reaction of Connor. Once I throw a feint and I get a reaction from Connor, boom, I close that distance right away and I try to grab him. I try to jam his punches. I try to attack him on exits, hit the low kick on his exit. But I can't sit there. Connor McGregor, if he backs you up, if he hits you and he backs you up, he's going to just do so much more damage. Almost like Kelvin Cater fighting Max Holloway. Cater moving backwards was just the worst thing you can do because a good, long, rangy striker is going to kill you moving backwards. So to me, like you're fighting Wonder Boy Thompson, if you're fighting Israel Adesanya, you have to pressure these types of long-rangey counterfighters. Get in close, use that clinch. That's the only way you're going to beat them. If you try to stand that range, I think Connor's too dynamic, too good on angles, and just his ability to keep range is going to be too much. I think that um, the big cage is actually a big advantage for Poirier. <laughs> I think that if you're in the small cage against Connor, he, he always does his best work against the cage. That's where I think he finds his best angles. And I think that having a bigger cage to work with is is good for Poirier. And I think that if he can stay off the cage, that's going to be his best bet. I find that Poirier always does his best work in the center. And I think if he can keep it the center for a long period of time, that's where he's going to be able to really manage the distance, manage the angles, and uh, and keep Connor at bay. I think he might survive in that range, but I don't think he'll win in that range. So what I range do you think he, he needs be, to win? I think he needs to pressure him. I think the the idea is if... Poirier, when he when Poirier fought Khabib, 
everything we're talking about. Oh, you got to look at, you know, Poirier's wrestling. He's probably the best in the division. Poirier's wrestling. You know, collegiate this, college this, wrestling that. And Did now people say that about someone... Poirier? I don't know if people they said didn't. that about Poirier. Because Poirier's wrestling says never the ability been... to fight, his jujitsu. they were saying. I mean, maybe. I'm just talking grappling in general. Yeah. But they, Well, a lot Poirier of did have Khabib in that pretty deep choke. Like, he, he had him. He had him by the mm-hmm. neck. And I think that if, he can, saying, get Con- if he can get Connor. Yeah, like if he can I'm get Connor's neck. That's where he needs to put Connor in these types of wrestling, grappling situations. I mean, if you're just standing in the clinch, Connor's going to punch you with his shoulders. He's going to hit you on the exit, create the angle. When I mean pressure against the cage, it means grab his arms, tie them up a little bit, you know, pull on his neck, grab his body locks, you know, just grind your head against his head, you know, just trying to wear him down in that inside range. Yeah, I, I just can't wait to see how this one goes. I, I honestly do believe that Poirier is going to get out of the first round with... I do too. Yeah, yeah. and if it, and the odds on him getting out of the first round are actually pretty, like, they're not great. I think the odds were, it was like minus, it was like fight starts round two, or sorry, it was not McGregor in the first round, it was like minus 210. Like, basically, the, any okay. other outcome that happens, you're safe, you're covered, right? Like, so yeah, even yeah, if Poirier yeah. wins in round one, you're covered, right? It's It's not even fight starts round two, it's like... Any other outcome aside from McGregor by KO in the first round was like minus two ten. Like, Damn, that's good odds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not bad. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. You so hundred bucks, you'll win fifty. But yeah, I'll that's still, still not bad. That's I mean, the amount of other outcomes that are possible for this fight are, are yeah. You know, I wouldn't say they're infinite, but there's there's a good amount of them. Is there a chance this goes to decision, which a lot of people aren't talking about? Who did I, I saw someone predict that it would go to decision? I'm trying to remember who it was. It, that's not a bad. That's not a bad pick, and I bet you as a a prop bet, that's a, a beautiful prop bet. We we know how tough Poirier is, right? So well, I mean, here's that the would thing. be a phenomenal prop. But if it gets outside of the second round, and Poirier has Poirier has been known to pick up the volume as the fight goes on. Like he he puts on big volume three rounds three four five. I think if he puts that volume on McGregor, you can look for Poirier to get a late stoppage. Like I think a, a round three, round four, round five stoppage for. Poirier is certainly something that's a realistic outcome because if Connor's cardio is not what it should be for this fight, like if, if he doesn't have the improved cardio, because every lightweight fight that uh, Poirier has had that's gone beyond into the championship rounds, he's 3-0 and in those fights. Like he's, he's, hmm. he, he tends to outlast his opponents. And I think that if, if that fight, this fight gets out of that, like gets out of the second round basically, like I said, I think it's Poirier's fight to lose and I think he can win that fight in an array of ways, once that fight enters the third round. Yeah, I hope so. Like, I mean, I, I know I'm riding Conor McGregor here, but I just hope for great fights. I think that's what I'm hoping for the best. I want to see something fun come out of this. I mean, and to me, a 60-second knockout is fun just to say that he predicted it and that Mystic Mac again or whatever we used to call him. But I just, I just want to see a good fight. I want to see Conor tested. I want to see his... Uh, big mouth tested. Like I want to see what he can do, and I mean, I just think it just creates a lot of legitimacy from the sport in the division that Conor McGregor's out. Then when he comes back in, he just dominates so much, and from the rest of the class. So the man's special, that's for sure. But I hope Poirier is able to sit there, and I'm I'm in for a five round war to watch. I'm in. I'm in for a decision. Doesn't have to be a finish for me. Joe, we also have the co-main event, uh, as mentioned a little bit earlier. Dan Hooker welcoming Michael Chandler to the UFC. I had a great talk with Chandler. I uh, I had never spoken to Chandler prior to 
this week, at least not that I recall. I wonder if I spoke to him on the red carpet once at the uh, MMA Awards. I can't remember. I can't remember everybody that I interview. Like, there are times where I interview someone, and I'm like, oh, I, I did interview them, like, years ago. I, I, once I, like I said to you last week, once I interview someone, it's on to the next. I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's in the rearview mirror. And, and you don't get, and you didn't get hit in your head your whole life. That's pretty good. Come on, you got to have better memory. You got to have better memory than me. That's, yeah, but that's I'm looking at I screens think. all day. So, I mean, I'm sure that's not great for my brain. Uh, yeah. As opposed to you, who I tweet, I text, and then I get a response, like, six hours later from. You're not looking I'm at good. you're looking at heavy no, bags. I try not to. Honestly, with pandemic, I'm I've gone to usually I spend an hour on my phone in the morning and then I've learned to put it away. And then I'll check just before I train and then I won't look at it during two, three hours of training. Like I've had to intentionally leave my phone away from me for a bit. All right. Well that's good. Yeah, so that's, that's my good. that's my plan. I just, this week Too I much set aside and staring. I set aside two o'clock now every day that I'm gonna work out. And I'm putting my phone away, put some music on. Hit the bag a little bit, do some stretches. Every day. That, that's yeah, every day. And I've got to start watching the the Bazooka Joe, some more of those Bazooka Joe instructional videos. Yeah, I actually have started a series. I just posted a video yesterday on how to improve your jab on the bag. So each week I'm gonna do like a bag workout. So there you go. Nice. You can work your jab on the bag. Do you do stretches? You need to do a stretches video. I found some dude who it was some Taekwondo guy who had stretches. And I was trying to, yeah. and this guy was like flexible as all as all get out. And I was trying to <laughs> emulate him, and it was it was it was not good. It wasn't good. No, it didn't yeah, go the well. The problem is stretching is very individual, so it's really hard to give someone like a, a prescription stretch. Like my hip, my right hip is tight. You know, your hamstrings might be tight. You know, you might have different tightnesses everywhere. But yeah, I'll do a nice general one. There you go. See, do a stretching video, and I'll watch it every day, and your viewer count will go through the roof. You'll have at least three hundred and sixty-five right, views from me every year. Well, I think the biggest promotion you gave me is that how to beat Wonder Boy fight because every time we fight him, we bring it up to the guys, which is awesome. Yeah, they all so watch that it. video's got a lot of good heat, thanks to you. Yeah, well, sadly for Jeff Neal, is uh, you know, uh, Safe Sayud was not with him for that fight. I feel mm. like if Coach Sayud was there, he would have seen some adjustments, and you would have seen him get in Jeff Neal's face and yell at him a little bit. That's, That's it. it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so unfortunately for him, uh, for Coach Safe, he wasn't there. But, uh, I remember you were going to ask Wonderboy. Did you end up asking him? And then we I did. Back to the I asked him. I forgot to send and you the video. Say? Yeah, you never sent it to me. I was wondering what he would have said. I'll send you the video. I'll clip it. Uh, I'll clip it after we uh, after we do the show today, and I'll send okay, it. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Was he funny about it? At least he likes you, though. I mentioned you by name. He's okay. like, oh yeah, I know Joe. All right. Okay. He he didn't right. seem no offended by it. He likes the idea All of right. people thinking that they that they can beat him. Yeah, he's just so nice. So, all right, just I'm happy that there's no beef on his end because there's zero meat and beef over here. Yeah, except for the ones in your legs that you would use to to kick Wonder Boy's front leg if uh, if ever cast. Now him. you're in the promoter's hat. Yeah, I like exactly. It. Now yeah, back you into go. your promoter's yeah. WWE hat. I think I would hate to be a promoter. Why? You're basically a promoter, a journalist now. You know, a little bit of a promoter. Well, I mean, I'm not promoting my own events, like I, you know, and I'm not, try- I'm not certainly not trying to promote the UFC's events. I, I'll talk about them, and maybe that is promotion <laughs> yeah. in and of itself. But uh, well, TSN and TSN MMA, you know, yeah, that's all know, on your back. Part man. of my job working for TSN is to help grow the sport in this country. I always think of that as part of my mandate. Is and, and I always have that in the back of my head. Is you know, I want to get more people watching this sport. So I mean, I would say that I'm more of a promoter of of the sport of mixed martial arts than actually doing promotional work for the UFC or anything along those lines. Well, if there was an award for Canadian MMA journalism, I would definitely put you as the, the number one, hands down. I don't think there's a, a close second. You got to think you're at the BTC shows, you're you're supporting and getting to know the up and coming guys. Then you're actually in UFC. You know all the TKO fighters. You give everyone an interview. That's not 
in Canada anymore. So I think you're one of the only ones doing some big things. Yes, there's some other guys, but at the stage and the level and the commitment you're doing at, like, I think a lot of these Canadian MMA guys should be thankful for you. I'll give a shout to MMA Empire. They do a lot of great work in terms of promoting uh, Canadian prospects and, and Canadian regional fights. Uh, yeah. They're always on the ball uh, when it comes to fight bookings that are kind of uh, of the lower level uh, regional fighters. And, you know, I try to keep on top of that, but it's not, not you know, my number one mandate. But I think those yeah. guys, if you want a, fo- a good follow, if you're, if you're in Canada and you want to keep on top of the Canadian MMA scene, MMA Empire, I would recommend. But uh, going back to that co-main event, I don't know how we got got so far off uh, off of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, we, we really veered off the, the path. We really, there. yeah. But I, uh, I, think, I think Dan Hooker is going to be a really tough matchup for Michael Chandler. The thing about Chandler is if you look at his past years of competition, like the last three, four years, Obviously, Patricio Pitbull's been his toughest matchup, and he lost that fight. But the other, the other matchups he had, the other guys he's fought, I don't think compare to the upper echelon of the UFC's lightweights. And Chandler's a little bit older. I would be, I'll just say this. I would be very impressed if Michael Chandler beats Dan Hooker this weekend. Okay. I'm actually, I would actually lean towards a little bit more of Chandler. Uh, I think Hooker's the, the favorite going into this. Am I correct with a that? A very small favorite, yeah. Minus 130. Unless that line's yeah. I, I don't I know. I think it's... It's just a fantastic fight, and I actually think this was the right fight for Chandler to come in on. I agree I with mean, that. I mean, a lot of people wanted to put Chandler up there a little bit more with the bigger names, but I think this is a perfect position to be that Bellator champion, to come in. I think Dan Hooker is that, like, if you can hang with Dan Hooker, I mean, it just shows where you are in the top five in the world. So I just think it's the, the perfect matchup. But I, I for me, it's a pick to be honest. I don't see a, a slight favor going any way. Um, I do like Dan Hooker. I do like City Kickboxing and Eugene. So um, just based on favoritism, but uh, it's a pick fight for me. I just think Dan Hooker's knees can be a big threat. Uh, Chandler's power in wrestling is a threat on his side. So do you have, are you leaning one way? Do you have a, are you tilted towards someone? Yeah, I think that Dan Hooker's going to win this fight. Okay. And I'm fairly confident right. in it as well. Confident, like I, too. Yeah. I mean, let's look at Chandler's resume the last couple of years. So the win over Ben Henderson, impressive win, but I don't think Ben Henderson is the same Ben Henderson that was the lightweight champion of the UFC. Uh, he's just a little bit older. And I think that. And he, he finished him. He knocked him out in the first round. Knocked him out. Right? And that's tough to do because Ben Henderson is incredibly yeah. durable. Uh, win over yeah. Sidney Outlaw. I couldn't tell you much about Sidney Outlaw. Lost to uh, Patricio Pitbull in the first round, and Patricio moved up to 155 for that fight. He's a, he's a, How did he lose to that win? Decision? First round, no, first round knockout loss. To oh, he got knocked out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a win over Brett, Brent Primus. Win over Brandon Gertz. Win over Goichi Yamuchi, who I think is a good fighter. Lost to mm-hmm. Brent Primus uh, due to kind of a, a freak injury. And, okay. uh, and then I think he won a split decision or a decision over Ben Henderson back in 2016. So that's like the last four and a bit years of, of, his, of his career. I just don't and think he's, he's probably fought... the older of the four. He's the older of the four, right? Of the the top four that's fighting this weekend, yeah, or is I think Poirier? I think Chandler's the oldest. No, Poirier, I think, is actually younger than Connor. Connor's what? Only thirty two. I think Connor's thirty two. I'm going to look this up. I think Poirier is just like a little bit younger than Connor, if I'm not mistaken. So, really? so Poirier is thirty two. He just turned thirty two actually uh, this week. Seems so much older, man. And Connor McGregor. How am I thirty five and these? Guys are thirty two. They're kids to me now. I got to call them the kids. <laughs> kid, the like kids Dana White calls everybody kid. Way. Yeah, the Connor is older by Connor is about six months older than Dustin Poirier. Damn, I would have never thought. Yeah, and then uh, me, I think Chandler is like thirty-five. A lot older, man. You yeah, think Poirier looks older Poirier's than, been than in Connor? For so long. Connor's starting to look pretty old these days. 
Yeah, because the kid may be in a row. I don't know. Poirier, to me, just seems – I think it's more of how long his name has been in the sport for, right? Because he's he was in the UFC probably a couple years before Connor. Poirier, yeah, correct yeah. Correct yeah. thing to for say? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just maybe seeing him in uh, fighting for so long in so many different divisions, it seems like he's an old man in the, the sport now. Yeah, and you think of how many main events he's been in and, and how many five-round fights and all that. Like, he, he's been around for some time. In terms of fight years, I think he's older than McGregor for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, if you do want to hear interviews with uh, the main and co-main event uh, combatants in this weekend's card, you got McGregor, Poirier, Hooker, and Chandler. I interviewed all of them on the most recent TSN MMA show interview edition. Uh, a lot of great feedback for the uh, interview with Connor, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I actually watched it. I went back you watched one of my interviews? Sure oh, my gosh. I did, because we it's talked national about holiday. it last show. We talked about it last show, so I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go and I'm going to watch this Connor one because we talked about it. And it came out good. I was actually wanted to tell you on the show that I enjoyed it. You I, didn't, like we discussed, you know, you kept it a little bit flowing and went a little bit off on some of his passion, so I was into it. Good. Yeah, you know, I try to ask different kind of questions. I always try to say that. I try to be a little bit different. And, you know, I, I always try to not read YouTube comments because it's usually a cesspool. But, oh, uh, you can't, yeah. But, but I, I'll say that, uh, you know, usually people talk about my big nose on, uh, on YouTube. And I was delighted to see that more people had commented on, on the fact that it was a good interview and said that Connor's nose looked big. Compared, he didn't, they didn't say, okay, they said, right. I'm surprised at how big Connor's nose looked. And I said, well, this is refreshing. I'm not getting there comments on my nose on uh, on on yeah. YouTube uh, this time around. At, le- at least not as much as usual. So I'll take it. Okay. I'll take what I can. You know, get. what was weird. <laughs> on my last video on YouTube, like again, I don't read the comments. I post. I barely even look at it again. It's gone. It's. But someone showed me a comment. They're like, uh, someone says, "Nose looking fresh, big guy." That was my favorite <laughs> no. comment ever on YouTube. Nose looking fresh. Nose looking fresh, big guy. I was like, yeah, look at this thing. It's flattened. <laughs> it got squished a little bit. It's been kneed and punched. So I'm not very, I wouldn't say my nose is the nicest of noses, but a compliment to my nose made me feel good that day. There you go. And there you go. We felt good because of our noses. And I got a, uh, I got a nice compliment on Twitter. Somebody said that I looked like a combination of Dan Hooker and George St. Pierre. And I said, that might be the nicest thing oh. anybody's ever said about me. Two very handsome okay. gentlemen. Yeah, hell yeah, I can see that now. There we go. Yeah, maybe I can see that. Maybe two, GSP maybe two and... handsome guys makes a not so handsome guy when you combine them. So there we go. Yeah, a little Dan Hooker. Yeah, I see the Dan Hooker. I think it's the face structure, the longer face. Yeah, I don't have there a long go. face, do I? I don't know. I've always thought I had. I have very mm-hmm. small ears. I got a, I've got a small head. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I would I, say your face is more long and narrow like mine than it is short and round. Yeah, probably. Well, I had a I had a nice talk with Dan Hooker this week as well. I always like talking to Dan. He's got a great sense of humor. Uh, I apologize to him always off the smiling. bat. Always smiling. Always smiling. I apologize to him off the bat for bringing up the Paul Felder curse the last time I spoke to him. Mm, okay. Have, yeah. you, have you heard about what his... What did he say? Uh, he, 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 he said it was okay. He said, uh, he, said he blamed me for the loss. Good. And I said, you know what? I'll take it. I'll put it on my professional record. I'm 0-1 now as a professional. He can, <laughs> he can take it off there his record go. and put it on mine. Uh, but uh, I... Uh, I don't know if you're aware of what his travel situation is for this, because New Zealand has COVID on like absolute lock, and you yep. know, there are very few new cases there over the course of the last month. So, did you know about his whole itinerary basically for this fight? Uh, I don't, but I understand that they have to go to a hotel like uh, to quarantine for two weeks before they can actually go back to their houses. Right. But yeah, let me know. I'd like so, to hear it so all, anyways. Eighteen-hour flight to Dubai. He flies to Dubai. He has okay. to quarantine there for forty-eight hours. 
Yeah. Then upon quarantining for 48 hours, he has to fly or I don't know if it's fly or, or take a bus. I don't know how far Dubai and, uh, and Abu Dhabi are. But he, he has to travel to Abu Dhabi. Uh, they have to let him into Abu Dhabi. And then he, when he gets to Abu Dhabi, he has to quarantine for another 48 hours. Oh, uh, he competes against uh, Chandler this weekend. And then in order to get back into New Zealand, you have to book an appointment to get back into the country. And the earliest appointment for him to get back into New Zealand was February 21st. Oh, my so, God. So he has to stay in Abu Dhabi or can travel however he sees fit until oh February 21st. Um, so then once he gets back to New Zealand on February 21st, he has to quarantine in a hotel for two weeks. <sighs> away He's from not his home until mid-March. Yeah, so it's basically it's, it's almost eight full weeks of travel in order for him or of being away from home in order to compete this coming weekend. Oh so kudos to Dan Hooker for going through all that. And when, <laughs> I, when I spoke to Hooker, I said to him, if you end up beating Michael Chandler and it ends up, you, you don't take much damage, what do you think about competing in Vegas in February? Because you could be home by February 21st and still compete on one of those cars. He goes, he goes that would be the best possible thing that I could do is, try, is be able to compete yeah. and turn it around. I said, well, I've spoken to the matchmakers. He goes, well, I'm not going to look past Michael Chandler. He's Michael Chandler. But he said basically, like, yeah. if, if he's able to get out of that fight and is healthy enough to fight again in February, he'd love to do it. But uh, probably unlikely. But basically 10% of his year, more than 10% of his year, because eight weeks, it's almost 20% of his year is being spent uh, Damn. Travel, yeah, is being spent traveling yeah, just but, to compete. Yeah, that 10%, though, is probably more than most people's annual salary. So it's worth yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to be paid probably weeks. about 300k, I would imagine. Yeah, so I mean, I'll I'll be gone for half a year for that. You want me to leave for half a year? I'll take his three hundred k and I'll leave my house for the year. You don't have a kid Never at home. Mind. We just leave for a year for that. You don't I'll have a wife and kid. Okay, U.S. Yeah, you're not Still, tethered. I'm sure they'll be happy that, that I'm coming home with three hundred k U.S. Well, his wife said to him and and made him feel a lot better. Said, you know what? This is you know this is your career. It's a good experience. You can hang out in, in the Middle East and travel a little bit and you know just make the best of it. Yeah, I mean that's the positive thinking you need. That's definitely it. But, yeah, hey, you get to fight your biggest fight of the year. You're supporting your family, doing what you love. Yeah, but that's brutal. That's – I can't. Yeah. I can't even – I'm trying to pretend man. like it's like, hey, suck it up. But, no, I yeah. can't. It sucks. And 18-hour flight even, each way, too. So he has to fly I back to New Zealand. I devil's advocate on this one. So yeah. I'm, I'm all – I feel for him. <laughs> yeah, it's a 15,000-kilometer distance between New Zealand and, mm-hmm. uh, and Abu Dhabi. So – not uh, not great, but uh, you know maybe that'll give him more motivation in this spot because of how much he has to sacrifice to actually compete yeah. in this fight. Jeez, I mean I've always because I follow Israel a lot. I don't actually follow Dan Hooker. I'm going to after this, but uh, yeah, I just see how he's always in that hotel, and he, and it's like man, that's brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, he fights and then I, he's just never home, and they've they've spent two weeks quarantining before entering, and I mean there was actually threats for that for Canada. There's actually threats now. I mean, it's just, I think the world is just getting worse. Like, I'm going to New Jersey next week to call the glory fights. I need to do a COVID test before going to the U.S. And then as soon as I land in New Jersey, I got to get another COVID test because I need to show a negative results coming into Canada. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now you have to do all these prepared tests to be able to travel, which, you know what I mean? I kind of have to agree with it at some point. It's a lot of Well, they, they let you quarantine but... at home, right? So, I mean, at least that's better yeah. than having to sit in a hotel for two weeks. Yeah, but I know my American friends only have to do 10 days, some of them. I I wish they would do that testing where I can do that test as soon as I land, at the airport. Yeah. 48 hours and at the airport. That would be a, a dream for it, but... They're working on that, There's evidently. no gyms open. Yeah, they're apparently working on I that. I hope so. I yeah. hope so. 
Well, if you're, if yeah. you're an American listener, you can, you can plug your ears, but my dad's in Florida and got his first vaccine. Okay. Yeah, he's got an appointment for a follow-up vaccine. I know the Americans are not pleased yeah. with us Canadians traveling over there to get vaccinated, but my dad's over 65. <laughs> he has a residence yeah. in Florida, so he's in yeah, Florida right yeah. now and got vaccinated. Yeah, and that's the Wild West there, so... And in, in, in Ontario, we can't even get vaccines. We yeah. can't even get them over here. It's taking taking yeah, some time. Trouble. Certainly taking some yeah. time. And I know right now that there's uh, some supply chain issues. They're trying to just modify the distribution for Pfizer. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, the Canadian government doesn't have their act together. Pfizer's not getting, giving them any vaccines this week. But the reason for that is because there's going to be a, a bigger influx of vaccines in the coming week. So it was basically like a trade-off. Yeah. Where you don't well, have I just now. don't want them to rush the, these vaccines. Let's take our time, make sure everything is formulated properly. We don't oh, need anything still a lot rushed of now. Things that we know? don't know about. We don't know about whether or not you can actually still carry it and transmit it when you're vaccinated. That's right? my that's my number one thing I want to know before I get it. Mm -hmm. That's my number one. Yeah. So a lot of people because me getting the virus, I won't even know I have it. I'm such in good shape, but I I want to protect my parents. My number one goal and priority during this whole COVID is my mom and dad. Your parents so, will get the vaccine before you. Yeah, I would hope so. And older. if that's the case, then why would I need it if I at that point? Right. So if they said, hey, you can get the vaccine and you won't be able to spread it anymore. I'm all for it. But if I could still pass on and spread it to my parents, to me, it doesn't make any sense why I would want to get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would, it would help you fight like it would help you. Uh, fight the symptoms a lot better and and it does just because you're healthy doesn't mean i mean apparently according to reports fedor was hospitalized this week uh i was just it. gonna mention that, so yeah. i mean you know it's it doesn't matter what kind of shape yeah. you're in i don't think uh necessarily it, it manifests itself differently in, in each person again from what i understand i'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm certainly not an epidemiologist we're no doctors but uh yeah so yeah. i just think my colleagues i'll call them colleagues in the ufc these fighters these athletes they get covid Two weeks later, they're fighting again. Yeah, but apparently and Cody Garbrandt has had some really bad me. long haul effects of, of the virus. Um, okay. And we've seen some that fighters. Should... Yeah, apparently uh, Hamza Shemaev, his fight got postponed because he was the doctors recommended he didn't get back into training because he was having some sort of uh, side effect. So yeah, again, it uh, it manifests itself okay. pretty different. Still need some caution. Yeah. Still. And and still Leon Edwards said that yeah. he was suffering really bad uh, effects of it when he had it. So you just never know. You, okay. you know, don't don't play with don't play with fire, Joe. Don't play with fire. Okay, I don't. I won't do it. All right, <laughs> all right. There you go. Uh, all right. So what what else we got on this card? Uh, Amanda Hibas taking on um, Amanda Hibas taking on Marina Rodriguez. I really like this fight. I think it's a. I think the one big question mark I have about Hibas is for striking, and I think Marina Rodriguez, if she's able to win that fight, is uh, is certainly going to to prove a lot. This is on the early prelims, no? Uh, no, uh, this is on the main card. The main card? Oh, my main... The, there we are. The UFC site messed me up. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, I, uh, I was watching a lot of Amanda Reboss lately. Heboss? Heboss. The H, right? Yeah, Amanda Heboss, he yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's talented. She seems to be... I just what attracted to me was her personality. She seems so full of life, confident. Um, yeah, I think I'm excited to see her work. Well, if you're interested in hearing about her personality, you can listen to the TSN MMA Show interview edition where I spoke to her uh, earlier. Oh, there you but go. Yeah, she's uh, she's just so bubbly. You gotta love it. You, you just gotta love yeah. her attitude towards uh, towards the sport. 
And uh, she, she says something interesting to me. I said, are you ever nervous before you walk out? Because you just seem to have such positive energy all the time. And she says, I'm nervous when I sign the contract. She goes, when I, when I find out the opponent and I have the contract, she goes, like, I start to break out. I start to have, like, pimples on my arm. And I get, like, really yeah, nervous yeah. about it. But she says, like, once it's actually time to go, I, like, I have no nerves at all. Which I thought was interesting. You never really mm. hear fighters say that that's when they get nervous. Mm. Now, for me, it's usually just before... It's in the hotel saying that day where we got to go to the arena. That's the only moment I'm nervous. Have you ever Sitting vomited at the before a fight? Like, okay, and an hour we're waiting, and I'm like, now I'm freaking out. Have you ever That's vomited before a fight? No, never. 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 A lot, there are some fighters that, that need to vomit before a fight. Like, it makes them feel yeah. better. Yeah, I mean, that your stomach's all over the place. I just, I, I hit a good zone, and I think I always tell people, like, oh, what's what does it take? I'm like, it's the mindset. Like, I... As soon as my hands are wrapped, I can be talking to you like this. As soon as the last piece of tape goes on, boom, blank stare. I'm staring at walls. You can't talk to me. As soon as the hands are wrapped, I'm, I'm in a different universe. Hmm. I'm gone. Interesting. Yeah. Does that happen in training for you too? Wrapped. Like if you're training, does that same thing happen? Uh, no, like... I just have the – I've been gifted with this mindset of being able to con- – Put everything in control. Like I, I would come into training and not talk to anyone. My talking happened at the end of training. I wasn't allowed to. My coach was very strict on. It. He's like, don't come in and start socializing. You need to keep your mind strong for what's we're about to train. Don't start laughing and socializing. And nope, my earphones went on and I just warmed up. And then time to go. We talk after. But so that was just. I think that's where one of my gifts. Uh, to be able to fight these big guys in the sports, where to just be able to blank out and just fight. One of your many Which a gifts. A lot of people can't do. Yes. One of my many gifts. There's uh, a lot of a lot of <laughs> really interesting fights. I like the Sarah McMahon Juliana Pena fight. Uh, Brad Tavares against Antonio Carlos Jr. is a, a fun one. That's going to be fun. I was really looking forward to Tsurushi Khalil versus... Roundtree. I thought uh, is this Khalil's last fight in his contract? Someone says he's not renewing after. or Is this just me totally making something up? I think he did. Was, I hear something. He's been talking about that. retirement for some time, but. Uh, from what I understand, he was—he's been a little bit more, uh, a little bit reinvigorated in terms of uh, this this particular fight. I know okay. a, lot, a year ago he was thinking of retiring, but uh, he's been training in Thailand and apparently has all kinds of new weapons that he wants to show off. So we'll have to see. I actually should have uh, booked an interview with Khalil. I was like talking to him. Do you know Khalil's story yeah, about his dad? Nice. Uh, no, I just know I liked him because of his low kicks and his him training Muay Thai, and that's why why I kind of attracted myself to him. Yeah, so so he's Khalil Rantry Jr. Khalil Rantry Senior was a, uh, a a road manager for Boys to Men back oh, in the really? day. Yeah, and uh, robbers came and uh, and um, killed him. And they, they took Boys to Men's equipment and, like, all kinds of money from Boys oh, to Men. Man. So he was he was murdered when Khalil was quite young. Like, I think he was three or four years old. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so Khalil's got a pretty Ooh. interesting backstory in that regard. Uh, he was, like, yeah. on, on the road with the band, and that, that ended up happening. Like, some criminals came and... Uh, I think that they they were caught in jail Jeez. and all that, but yeah, it's, I mean, obviously it doesn't make it any better for him, but uh, yeah, it's uh, is that a lot of fuel for his career. Yeah, or is it something? And he he has you very, mention any of that? I've spoken to him about it before. Um, after he beat Gokan Saki, actually, I asked him. I said, like, do you feel like your dad is with you during these fights, or like that he's looking down on you and and you know is really proud? I mean, this is the biggest moment of your career. You knocked out Gokan Saki, um, yeah. and he was he got really emotional. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I know that sometimes people have a lot of, it's a tough, it's a tough question to ask, but I, I could tell that he yeah. was just really overwhelmed with emotion. And I was wondering if that was the root of it. And it, it seemingly was. So, uh, yeah. but uh, I like Khalil Roundtree. Uh, he's, he's a yeah. good dude. Um, from what I've heard and seen him, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. 
Um, what me- about uh, Amir Elbazi? I'm, I'm excited for that just because he fought Malcolm and I cornered against him. Is that fight still on? Yeah, and he made 125. He made 125. He made 125. All right. He took it last minute when he fought uh, Malcolm, but I'm excited to see him because I think he's going to be a, a tough fight for a lot of guys in the division. He's facing Rappling super strong. Facing double Z, Zhalgas Zumagulov from Kazakhstan. Yeah, I wasn't even. I was going to say he's fighting Zumagulov. Zhalgas Zumagulov. Get with the program, Joe. Uh, there you go, Zumagulov. <laughs> and uh, so that that should be an interesting. I think that's the first fight on the card. Uh, this past Wednesday, Michael Chiesa, what a statement against Neil Magny. Damn. Yeah. I. Uh... I did my little pre-fight bets, and I went pretty heavy there on Mr. Chiesa. I just, he's got something about him. I think just, I think hearing him more in that journalist role makes me more confident for him as a fighter. Just to see how intelligent his mind works kind of steered me in that direction. And just something about him, the way he's talking is about like, oh, now I can be bigger, stronger, faster, focus on my athleticism, you know, like, all the words he said, and it just made sense. What I believe in as, as, a, as a coach, as a fighter, um, he encompasses it. So I think, um, yeah, I just felt good on him going into that night. And phenomenal, man. Phenomenal. He was also really smart about last year. Um, I think his, his coach, Rich Little, I don't know if he lives with his dad or is around his dad a lot. So uh, as a result of that, like people, they were really strict about training last year. And when the pandemic hit, Kiesa basically came out on Instagram and said, I'm not fighting during this pandemic until I, my training situation can improve, until I can figure out mm-hmm. a way to train properly and be, prop, you know, be as yeah. prepared as possible for fighting. I just thought that was very smart. I thought that was a very yeah. good way of looking at it. And uh, clearly he was very prepared for this past fight against Magni. I made my three TSN edge picks for Wednesday, and that was my one losing pick was uh, the I had the under in that fight, the under four and a half rounds. Oh, okay. So that didn't hit. Okay. But my other two hit. My other two hit. One was a plus two hundred, and one was plus two thirty. So uh, I like that. What was it? What were those? Do you remember? Yes, one was Warley Alves, and the co-main event was plus two hundred. Okay. And the other one was I don't know if you I caught didn't touch it. that fight, but yeah. Warley Alves, woo, those kicks, man, yeah. He's gets good. me excited. I love kick fighters. And the other one was uh, the first fight on the card, uh, Manon Fioreau from France, a female fighter. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually won that on my parlay. Yeah, I had her inside the distance, plus 230. Um, and she won inside the distance against Victoria, Victoria Leonardo. I just watched some, some clips of Fioreau, and she's really good, really strong, karate kickboxer, good power, great precision. Mm. You should watch her. I think you would like her style a lot. Yeah, she's French, right? The French, French girl. Yeah. She was French, yeah? Yeah, she was a champion. Yeah, she did. She's great. Yeah, yeah champion, I think it was in... Uh, UAE Warriors as well as uh, the EFC in South Africa. So, uh, two divi- two uh, promotion champion and uh, looked great in her promotion. I-, I would not be surprised if they ran if she's in the rankings sooner rather than later. Was uh, was really impressed with uh, with her showing. I mean, I also was interested. Uh, we got to see Sue uh, Maj- yeah. Majeri again. I can Sue never Maderji. say that guy's name. Yeah. but uh, who he fought is. Uh, was interesting to me because Zaruk Adeshev, I called this fighting glory. So it was kind of exciting to, for me to see a pressure style fighter after training Malcolm to pressure fight against Sue. That it just made the the fight a little bit really interesting for me. And just Sue's so good at his range and just did, I just thought I just still think he's going to do phenomenal in that division. Yeah, facing a former really uh, glory kickboxer in Zaruk Adeshev. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, to see Zarouk brought the fight, I mean, mm-hmm. he he hit him with some big shots a few times, so it just wasn't enough. I mean, uh, Sue's that good, so rangy, so long. I, I honestly, I, I think you can put him against 
some of the top in the division now, and he'll stand and give everyone a good fight. I yeah. really do. And he's so young. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm trying to think of what else we, we what else we've got uh, to to discuss. I mean, well, you tell there me. Was the... Let me ask you a question sure. here. Where's Kiesa going from here now? Where do you put Kiesa? I would like to know where you put him next and how he would match up against. You know, some of the bigger guys, because you got to think the, the the top of that division are big wrestlers, and Kiesa's got phenomenal wrestling. So yeah. where do you I'm just going to pull up next? the rankings so I can have them in front of me. I mean, he called out Colby Covington. I think that would be a great fight. Um, I think yeah, I think either sure. Covington or a rematch with uh, with uh, Jorge Masvidal would be great. Um, I think the winner of Edwards versus uh, uh, Shemaev would be a good matchup for him as well. Although I think the winner of uh, Edwards versus Shemaev might end up getting the next title shot. But... Uh, what about like a, is a Woodley make sense, or is Woodley like now at that point like it's not worth? I wouldn't be surprised if Woodley doesn't fight in the UFC again. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they release okay. him. Honestly, I I mean I'm not trying to to, uh, you know, pick on the guy, but I, I do know that Dana White does not have the best relationship with Woodley. He's coming off two straight losses. Actually, the the, the one that I really liked was Maya versus Kiesa. I think Demian Maya's retirement fight against Michael Kiesa would be a great matchup. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And that moves him up a rank, according to the UFC rankings. So. And you know what else we didn't get to talk about was Max Holloway's incredible win this past Sunday oh, yeah. against yeah, Calvin Cater. Yeah. 465, yeah. I believe it was, significant strikes landed over the course of five rounds. Definitely heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you, to see my boy take a, Calvin. To say it as it is, my boy took a beating. Would yeah, you have, he took a five-round beating. Would you have stopped it after the fourth? No. No. See, I, I agree with you. I, I, I tweeted that out. Uh, Tyson, Tyson even messaged me, and he goes, he goes, hey, Coach, uh, hey, Joe, would you, would you, what do you think? Stop, because I think in his mind, I, I'm sure a lot of people are giving him flack, and a lot of people was like, no, man, he he had a fighting chance the entire time. 100 percent agree. With I you. mean, he was sitting there blocking a lot of them, like they were hitting his face, looked bloody. He's got a nose that always breaks. So, I mean, no, no. Let the man fight. He's in his 30s. He's got 25 professional fights. He's in one of the biggest fights of his career. You let that man fight. And I thought you Tyson made fight. the right call, too. You know, I, I, I posted uh, between rounds that the first thing Tyson said to him is, we're going out for round five. And I thought that uh, he, the reason why he did that and didn't say, well, do you think you can do it? Do you think you can go out for, for round five? Is you don't want to put that question in your fighter's head. No, you don't, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. And I thought that he was blocking the shots. I thought he was fighting back. He took a... He took a a really bad beating in that fight for sure. And I think that that can yeah. have an impact on his career, but I don't think that stopping it before the fifth round would have, would have changed the, the impacts no. of that fight. And I thought, like you said, he was firing back. He was blocking. He was intelligently defending himself. He wasn't showing the signs of a fighter that was out on his feet. He was wobbly yeah. for sure. But, uh, yeah. and listen, I'm not a coach. You're the coach. Uh, I'm glad that you, you are, uh, are saying what you're saying because I, I, I felt pretty confident that Tyson had made mm. the right choice. Yeah, I just think it's it's different to be sitting on the outside and saying, yeah, you should stop the fight. He didn't have a chance of winning, you know, last two, 10, eight rounds. But, I mean, fighting is more than that now. And, I mean, so sometimes it's like, yeah, stop it. What's the point? But the, what the point is, is that it means that's Kelvin's life. It's not what's the point. Stop living, fight another day. He had that opportunity to fight one of the greatest of all time. You lay it out there. I, and I even related it a little bit to my fight with Nikki Holtzkin. I didn't take a beating in that fight. It was very competitive. But the idea of that opportunity was there. It was I would have went to I would have went to the death at that point. Even my world title fight. If you watch my world title fight against Mark DeBont, that fifth round, I took the knee in the fourth, lucky to survive. I was basically unconscious on my feet, stumbling around a ring for the all fifth round. My corner had the towel in their hand 
at one point. And I thank God every day they didn't throw that towel in because it meant something to me. I'm in my 30s. I'm in this opportunity. So for me, like, you got to take those into consideration. Like when we talk about that young kid, um, Bryce Cooper. Uh, is it Bryce? Not Bryce Cooper. Chase Hooper. Uh, Chase Cooper. He, uh, that's a kid where, yeah, maybe you stop that fight. He's in his, he's 20 years old still new to the UFC. So there's different times and, and situations when you'd want to pull. But uh, I think Kelvin deserves to, to go out on his shield for, you know, his age, his record, his experience, and the fight it was. Go out yeah. on your shield. And also, he, he gets better as the rounds go on. I mean, it didn't necessarily yeah. happen in that fight. But honestly, I don't think there was a 45 on the planet that would have been able to beat Max Holloway that night. I just, you know, yeah. Max Holloway was no. in the zone. He was in that, that flow state that people talk about where he was just, yeah. he, he was, and the volume, and you know what, you could tell in the first round, Cater was a little bit overwhelmed. You could tell that Cater was yeah. looking at him and being like, well, this is, this is something different. Big this and strong, yeah, big before. and strong, yeah, yeah. I, th- I felt that really early with that, too. Yeah. I mean, just Max, crazy. I mean, just insane type of distance, power, pressure, ability to push you backwards, like those are very tough guys to fight, man. No. The two I records, mean, that, just unreal. The two records that stand out to me that he broke, or the the two the two interesting stats. The first one is his output in that fight. The significant strikes landed was more than any two fighters have had in a single fight in UFC history. So any you take two any fighters, two fighters yeah. and you put them against them each up. other and you add them up. That's insane. And the other one is that he landed more significant strikes in that fight than both champions in the lightest weight classes uh, in the UFC. So Zhang Bei Li and Davis and Figueredo have landed in their entire UFC careers combined. Jeez. So, like, not sorry, not the two of them combined, but each of them, if you combine all of their UFC fights, he landed more significant strikes than each of them individually have in their entire UFC careers. That's insane. Yeah, those well, are the two lightest weight classes. It's hard for me classes. to appreciate his work. It's hard for me to appreciate his work, but... Now that I know Kelvin's okay, I can go back and uh, appreciate it more, you know? But it was, I can't believe it. Like, that that performance, now the question is, everyone's asked, does this give him an automatic shot right over to Volkanovski? I think so. I mean, I, not over Ortega, but, I, like, the Volkanovski-Ortega's booked. So, yeah, um, yeah, after Ortega. Yeah, I think you have to give him the winner of that fight, um, without a doubt. Like, I just, who else is there? Is that, is that fight booked, by the way? It's booked, yeah, March 26th. When is that? Co-main event of March 26th. Um, the main event apparently is going to be Stipe Miocic and Francis, and the co-main event okay. is going to be Ortega Volkanovski. Great card, but uh, unreal. But I think that yeah, you have to give Max because of the questions raised in the second fight with Volkanovski. I think that uh, and and you saw what he just did. I think he, you can't go in any other direction in the featherweight division. Yeah. Do you think he looked great? Because Calvin wanted to sit and box a little bit more. There was a not a lot, a lot more threats with the takedowns and stuff. I don't think it was about Calvin I mean, at all. I don't think I just think yeah. Max on that night there was something <laughs> that clicked that I think against any fighter yeah, yeah. in the world he would have been able to do that against. Yeah, I think Does if it would have been Zabit, he would have done the same thing. To move him up. Pardon? What about up and weight? No, Can I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's necessary. It's not needed. Here's the thing: everybody talks about Max and the weight and all the weight issues, and that he's never missed weight. Max has never missed yeah. weight for a fight. You know, he had that one complication before. Um, that was very sketchy. I think it was against Ortega, uh, and the fight got scrapped during fight week. Um, but that was like a sick, that was an illness, right? Like yeah. nobody really knows what happened there. And he hasn't really been able to elaborate on it. Cause apparently it's something, there's a court case about something that happened re- revolving that. I don't know if it was food poisoning or what, what happened, but, uh, he can't really talk about what he thinks happened that, that week yeah. because apparently I just, I just think with him, it's, it's, it's not more about, can you make the weight or not? It's more about 
his legacy. I mean, he's done so much in that division. If he gets that title shot again, I mean, you got to think now to be something spectacular in the sport, you need two divisions, you need multiple fights. I mean, because that fight with Khabib, like, never really went through, right? Yeah. So, but Max is 29 years old, Joe. Like, yeah. think of what this guy's accomplished. He's already has the, uh, the record for the most significant strike line in UFC history by a good margin, and he's 29. This guy's legacy yeah. is going to be written, anyways. I, I honestly, yeah. uh, there's still, but you think he still can stare chance. at Connor and know that Connor can have two belts and he can't? You know, I don't like, think he cares. That, that's where people rely on. You know, a lot of that. Yeah, but you know, once he wins back the championship, if he's able to, I think you know, you, you're seeing all these great up and coming 45ers right now. There's no shortage of people for him to beat. Um, you know, and people consider John Jones to be the greatest of all time. John Jones has only fought in one division his entire career, right? George but now to... he's moving up because he has to show everybody. Israel Adesanya has to move up now to show everybody. I, I honestly think it's misguided. I, I believe that John Jones, um, if, you, if people don't believe he's the greatest of all time now, I don't think that there's anything he can do to, to get them to because they, they, are, they believe there's an asterisk. And if you believe there's an asterisk, I don't care if him beating Francis will do it for yeah. you and all that. I just... It's true. Yeah. And I think that his body of work is enough to already have him as the greatest of all time. But uh, it's nice that he wants to put an exclamation point on it. But I think there's always going to be people that are going to hold that against him, hold his uh, the, sure. the, the doping issues and the outside the cage issues against him. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to say doping issues because we don't really, you know, with no, Usada, we don't know what the Austrian deal is and all that. I, I, two two fighters I believe recently have gotten public warnings for trace levels of Austrian, right? So even Amanda Hibas who's fighting this weekend. She was held out of competition for almost two years because of, of trace levels of Austrian, and she was cleared. But she was in her in her early twenties was kept out of competition as a result of that, right? So huh. we're just starting to learn a lot more about how some of these substances are being found at very trace amounts in people's systems, and, and what can be the cause of that. I just I don't know. I just think everyone now is all excited about this double double. But I just think now with this John Jones thing, it's funny to hear people have to now create two lists, you know, of pound for pound. Oh, I have my pound for pound clean and I have my pound for pound other list. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. I just think there should be one list and you got to put John Jones at the top. One other, thing I, wanna, hear it, you know? one other thing I want to talk about. I, can't, I think it was on the uh, this past Sunday's card, the uh, Alessio De Chirico with the knockout over... Um, yep. Over uh, an Italian brother, yeah, Man, my Italian brother, yeah. and then Not after just some Italian, after the fight, we're putting Canada, Italy on the map. Yeah, well, he he didn't do a great job of it. I'll tell you that. But so John <laughs> no, Anik interviews terrible. him. John Anik interviews him afterwards. He beats Joaquin Buckley, who had the knockout of the year last year, and he does it in spectacular fashion with that big head kick. And then yeah. he gets on the mic. And he says, John, I'm not talking to you because you should be interviewing the losing fighters and not the winning so fighters. Stupid. First of all, this is not a hill to die on. Nobody wants to hear yeah. from the losing fighters after they've been knocked out. Joaquin Buckley's on wobbly legs. Like, I don't want to hear from Why Joaquin Buckley. Why do I want to talk to him? Why? Yeah. I mean, the winning fighters barely want to talk after their win. They want to go and be with their families. They don't want to talk. When I'm backstage at an event, do you think the winning fighter wants to come and talk to me? I'm, I'm aware of this. <laughs> I'm aware that I'm yeah. backstage and they are obligated to talk to me. They don't want to talk to me. They want to go and yeah, eat. they want to, they want to go eat, eat a nice meal. They want to go be with their yeah. family. They want to celebrate. Yeah. So exactly. for him to think the losing fighters should talk to the media after the events and go to the press conferences and, and talk to me backstage, it's not a hill to die on. The losing fighters don't want to talk after they lose. Yeah. And then he goes and does his press conference backstage and says, uh, thank you, everybody, but I'm not going to talk to the media because you guys don't talk to the, the losing fighters afterwards. Yeah, and well, first out. off, the UFC doesn't yeah. make the losing fighters available. 
So if if the, if the people at the presser said, you know, I really want to talk to uh, the losing fight. I want to talk to somebody who lost uh, after the event. They're going to be like, well, sorry, we don't make them available. So it's not even up to the journalists. <laughs> and you have this platform I after scoring know. a massive knockout, and this is how you use it? Yeah. No. And, and you're what? 0-3 in the UFC? It, uh, he was on a three-fight losing streak. Win? He was on a three-fight losing streak. He, he's won in the UFC before, but he was on a three-fight losing streak. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. Take your opportunity. Make some money. Get some big fights. You got to be a little bit better than that. Yeah, and then Dana White did. But, I mean, Dana I, White I says he congratulated him backstage, and they gave him a dirty look. <laughs> Dana White was like, what's wrong with this guy? Yeah. Like, they don't want to work with you. Why are they going to want to pay you more money when you're, you're talking this way? Like, yeah. Yeah, survive, man. And I understand the point he's trying to make and what he's trying to do. But even the winners, like, I don't even think necessarily – I understand press conferences are important, but just banged up. You've just been kicked in the head. You, you know how many times, like, these guys are sitting here with, like, blood still dripping down their eyes and, like, let the guys let, – let, I understand we want some information, but, like, I don't know. Can we wait a day sometime? Do you remember like, doing your least... interview after the Debont fight? Do you remember talking to whoever was interviewing you? Todd, uh, I don't know. We had – it was huge. It was busy. But, yeah, it was pretty I, – I was still probably concussed, so. But do you uh, remember yes, is what I'm asking you. Like, do you remember after you win doing that interview and getting the belt wrapped around you and all that stuff? Uh, I I'd actually – was weird because of the timing issue. I never got an in-ring interview. Oh, okay. After it was, it was running late. I had to do it at the press conference after. And did you get interviewed after after you lost to Holtzkin? Did they talk to you in cage? No, no. No. Okay. No. So do you remember doing that press conference then? Uh, the press conference, so-so. Okay. I just remember at that point the concussions being bad and I had to get, like, escorted out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was it was a uh, – it's different, man. You just, like – I remember, though, because I, I got my eyelid. I got, like, eight or eight stitches on my eyelid. And the whole time the preference, like I just have blood keep dripping down and I'm trying to hold it and just like, let me go home, at least get this stitch. Like I, I, I'm happy I won, but like my eye keeps dripping. I can't even talk to you guys because yeah. it keeps dripping in my mouth and falling everywhere, you know? It's going all over the mic. Like let me at least go home and I'll talk to everybody tomorrow if I if I feel good. I once did an interview so. with Stipe uh, backstage after one of his wins. I think it was the win over, uh, I can't remember which win. But uh there was just ear. There was just blood dripping from his ear. As I was talking to him, I could see blood just trickling out of his yeah. ear, and I was like, "Okay, this yeah. is something." Yeah, I mean, it's just it's. I, I understand people want it, but even when you win, you're fighting at the highest level. A win, like say you hit somebody, you knocked them out. Okay, yeah, you're okay. But even when you win, you're fighting at the highest level. You're taking shots. Like you're not the same. And I don't. Know, I think interviews should be a little bit more strategic. I don't think everyone should be given an interview. Mm-hmm. That's just my thought. I think it really slows down the broadcast. It really takes a lot of excitement because I'm going to be real. A lot of these fighters can't talk. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to talk. I feel if it's, I, I'm, I mean, if we have, do we really need a translator? Maybe if they're good, put them off on the side. And if you want, throw them in after, you know, like, oh, so-and-so, Megan Olivia is backstage with our winner. Mm-hmm. And then they maybe get a hit. But to interview every fighter, the translators that I hate trans I hate being the commentator doing those ones. And I just, it's too slow for me. Like, let's get to more action. Let's well, get, we don't need to hear from them all the time. Well, in the interest of transparency, I, uh, I did request an interview with Alessio this week. I wanted to talk to him and just find out what his thought process yeah, was. Like, why, why does he sure. want the losing fighters to get interviewed? Because I'm curious. I, I want to know yeah. why he decided to make this, you know, again, the hill to die on Stand. because it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Uh. Well, yeah. anyhow, I don't, Joe, I don't get it, but yeah, that would be a great interview. 
yeah. would like to hear. I'll watch that one. I'm gonna watch that one after then too. All right. Well, once you do the the curio one. Yeah, you're curious too. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad that I'm not, I'm not alone in being curious about that. So uh, well, UFC 257 this weekend. Uh, thanks for this, Joe McGregor Poirier. We'll be back. We'll do a podcast early next week before you go off to uh, to call glory. I know they now have a four man heavyweight tournament uh, as a result of uh, Jamal Ben Sadiq apparently suffered a really bad back injury and wanted to to stay on the card but couldn't. Uh, but now there's yeah. going to be a four man heavyweight tournament, more than making up for uh, him being off the card, in my opinion. You get to see a lot of great talent. Yeah. Uh, at yeah, and this to have event. a Tariko in the tournament, that's what the yeah. big story yeah. is. It's like done that, kickboxing right? knows about tournaments, but you. Usually the tournament is a contender tournament to fight mm-hmm. the champ. Yeah. So now the hey, champ is in the book. tournament. Mm-hmm. That's it. I like so, it. I mean, one night, beatings. There's so many variables that, I mean, that first fight between Hesdy Gerges and Rico, it's like beef yeah, started right. from so long ago. They hate each other. Um, it's going to be a fun fight. Good fight. A good fight. I mean, we got the Alex Pereira's sister fighting Tiffany mm-hmm. Van Seuss for a world title. Yeah. Uh, Cedric Goonhart. Yeah. yeah. Pereira versus Mahitop is going to be one of the best fights of kickboxing. And that's almost like Rico Botter at a, at a smaller weight class. That's, that that's how is, big it is. That event's this Friday? Like a week from today? Uh, it's going to be a Saturday. Oh, it's a Saturday, okay. Saturday. I'll be watching yeah, that. So, that one I'm not yeah. missing. No, that one's going to be good. I, I can't imagine seeing Rico in a tournament again. Again, big favorite, uh, and I don't expect him losing. And But uh, he needs knockouts, I think. I think he just needs to knock some of these young guys out in this tournament to show why he's that dominant force. I'd ask you who's going to be leaving with the heavyweight title, but I know you're not allowed to make these predictions as somebody who calls the sport, so I will just leave it at heavyweight that. T- it's not on the line. The heavyweight title is oh, not the title's on the not on the line. Okay. The title's not on the line. Because it's like, to, which I agree with, because there's too many variables in a tournament. Like, if he fights Hesdy and, and beats him, and gets then injured or something. knocks him out, breaks his hand, yeah, right. and all of a sudden he's fighting with a compromised hand, and it's just like, to lose a world title based on too many variables, yeah, I guess I a one-night tournament is not conducive to it. I, mean, I know Bellator rounds. is doing it, yeah. But Bellator, yeah, at least if the champion rounds. gets injured, they can wait until later in the year to fight or something, right? As opposed yeah. to a one-night tournament. Yeah, because their tournament isn't the same day, right? Their tournaments are over multiple All right, events. so Joe, you can make a prediction. Who, who, who's going to leave as the heavyweight champion on, on Saturday? You can make a prediction. Who's ah, I think it's a tough one. I don't know. I think it may be Rico. I'm not too sure. Maybe. Right. A little bit uh, non-committal, but we'll take it. We'll take it. All right, All so right. Uh, we'll right. we'll be back on Monday. We'll talk about uh, this past event. Maybe we'll do a little bit of a preview for Glory. I'm excited about this event. There's a lot uh, a lot yeah. of great action uh, going on. So uh, thanks, Joe, and uh, enjoy the fights, everybody. UFC 57, big card.